The big question is this, how do we use the seven step blueprint from the new science of physical health to drive down your risk of the number one and number two cause of sickness and death worldwide or the people you influence or care about. That's what today's episode is all about. Let's go and get started right now on today's episode of Health Secrets, The New Science of Physical Health. Hi everybody, welcome to my mini series here and this audio learning episode called How to Use a Smart Watch for Health. So it's a three-part mini-series. We're going to get stuck into episode one today, which I've called Smart Watchmakers Do Not Understand Health Outcomes. Okay, that's a very that's a very uh, provocative statement up front. You know, I see I belong to Facebook groups. So let me fill you in a little bit here. I have had a third, you might never have met me before. I've had a 33-year career in teaching health and physical education. So those two subjects are combined as one in Australia. And I belong to um, Facebook groups predominantly uh, that are varied and wide. Some of them are smartwatch um, users because I want to know how people are using smartwatches. I'm very interested in that because I saw the rise of that in schools. I've been teaching 33 years, been in the one school for 24 years. I saw the rise of smartwatches from around about 2011 when Fitbit first kicked off. And I'll talk more about that in a little bit. And so... Well, I became interested in that, and then I've also become interested in, well, the top, the name of the topic of the genre of education that you see over everything that I do, from my book to the courses to this mini-series, The New Science of Physical Health. One of the things that I see, so I belong to um, health and physical education uh, Facebook groups, I belong to on-demand um, fitness uh, Facebook groups, I belong to smartwatch um, groups, um, I belong to people who are saying, uh, what's one of the groups is called over 50 fitness enthusiast groups, um, people 40 and above that are involved in uh, wanting to be fitter and healthier. So quite a range of things, but all related to this topic that I've created called the New Science of Physical Health. And the genesis for this particular mini-series came from the fact that I've dived, one of the groups I belong to has over 260,000 active users and just truckloads of posts every single day. And in it, lots of people who are taking part in physical activity, they're posting questions about using their smartwatches to track improvements that come from their physical activity. And it's my contention, when I'm reading through these people's posts and I'm reading through the answers, I'm reading, I've got a particular insight which into this topic, how to use a smartwatch for health, that's a little bit unique for someone in my position who's only a health and physical education teacher. I've actually done quite a few things around that, on the periphery of that, which make my answer to this question a bit more unique than potentially a lot of other people in my in my field. So I'll talk about that in, in, in just a moment. But I became fascinated by looking at people's posts and thinking to myself, a lot of people are getting this wrong, you know. A lot of people are tracking things. I'll give you an example right off the bat. And then we'll dive into the structure of this particular um, episode and the mini-series, because I have got a structure, structure to this. It's not just talk that's off the cuff. I've done a lot of research and a lot of work into putting this mini-series together. So I've seen a lot of people, for example, particularly women, who track calories burned using their smartwatch. Now, the premise of me of this series straight away is 
that there are many things that attract that smartwatch makers make and health app or fitness app makers make that actually are tracked and don't need to be tracked. And I'll tell you why they don't need to be tracked straight away. It's right at at the front end of the series. My program, The New Science of Physical Health, my genre of education that I've created, is all about health adaptations that occur inside the human body as a result of physical activity, which we'll dive into in episode two in, in greater detail. Because I define health, and then I talk about how you track health, and how you grow your health and know when you're classified as physically healthy. Because they are not, those three things are not commonly known, which is the reason I wanted to put this mini series together. So they track calories, but I can tell you categorically that tracking the amount of calories will not tell you about any health adaptations that have occurred in your body. You don't know whether or not you are closer to being classified as physically healthy, and it doesn't tell you whether you, what that classification even looks like. We're going to go through all of that in this series. So that's the little introduction, my little monologue, as we get started here in this series, how to use a smartwatch for health. And in particular, this episode one, which I've called Smartwatch Makers Do Not Understand Health Outcomes. This may well be your very first introduction to me, and you may not have heard other mini-series before, and you may not have been dive into my work of the new science of physical health. So I think it's incumbent upon me, and I like to do this in every mini-series, to give you the very short version of my background. So I've already told you I've been involved as in schools and teaching health and physical education for 33 years. That's literally over 30,000 lessons I've delivered in those two topics face-to-face with students. And I've done a lot of online learning for the past seven or eight years, long before COVID-19 came along. I was love technology, as you can tell by this series. So I got into online learning management systems, and I love using those as well. So why don't I do this? First of all, I'm going to give you 60 seconds of me speaking at a live event so you get a bit of a flavor for what I'm about and what my what I'm like in terms of my complete obsession, almost to the point of being ludicrous. No, you can't be too ludicrous as far as I'm concerned on this topic, but my complete obsession with helping people to raise their personal physical health status and drive down their risk of the number one and number two cause of sickness and death worldwide, which we'll get to in this in this series very shortly. All right, transition now to me speaking on stage for about one or two, three minutes, and then I'll come back. In the, in the 80s, this young man graduated with a degree in health education. And for the next 20 years of his life, that's what he spent his time doing for seven of those years. I think it was seven. He was in the uh, National or the Heart Foundation, National Heart Foundation of Australia. I never quite get that right, but we know what I'm talking about. You know the one with the tick? You know where you get the tick? And he spent a lot of his time there, is still closely associated with these people. He has a passion, and the passion is born from the pain and the trauma that he felt as a young man when a loved one, and he'll tell you the story, close to him, was taken by Australia's most prolific killer. And he'll spend a little time telling you on that is. So he speaks from experience. Here today to help you discover the beat of your healthy heart. Will you please help me welcome to the stage one of Australia's leading heart health educators, Mr. Shane Stubbs. Thank you, Shane. Thank you, Shane. Thank you. 
Thank you, Rob, and uh, thank you, everybody, for coming along here this evening. You know, my role here, my function is to help you, as Rob said, to discover the beat of a healthy heart. And I've been doing this now for 20 years. So that was a speech where I went on. The title of that speech was called Discover the Beat of Your Healthy Heart. And that was really a great night. There were over 2,000 people in attendance at a convention center here in Sydney, Australia. All right, that's just a little intro there. I'm going to give you now 60 seconds from a DVD that I shot in a studio maybe six or seven years ago now, a bit longer. And it was complimentary to the presentation I just gave you and is also called Discover the Beat of Your Healthy Heart. But this 60 seconds from that DVD series that I recorded in the studio, you'll see what it's about. It is me talking about the reason that I created the new science of physical health and why I want to deliver this mini-series to you because it'll give you what I call my primary motivating factor for sharing this content with you, to bring you into the world that many people don't even know exists. Most people don't know exists. You may be listening to this initially if in the early days of when this mini-series has been released because you have an interest in the topic because that's where it starts. But my objective is, is to spread it outside of the people who are normally interested in this topic of the new science of physical health. What I want to be able to do is there are literally, we'll go through in a minute, how many smartwatch users there are on the planet today compared to prior to 2014 when it virtually didn't exist. And the, there are many, many, many of those people that have a smartwatch that's, that do not have any concept of how to use that device on how to be physically healthy. So. I want to share with you my reason for wanting to deliver this mini-series. You'll see what I mean. Let me transition now to 60 seconds from the DVD. On November the 1st of 1989, I took a phone call from my mother. And these are the three words she said. Love, Dad's died. It changed my world. He had a sudden heart attack and it was massive. The doctors later told my mother he passed away before he hit the ground. He was just 47 years old. There is a song by a musician called Jimmy Ruffin. It's called What Becomes of the Broken Hearted. Let's listen to the chorus and the words go, What becomes of the broken hearted? Who's had love that's now departed? I know I've got to find some kind of peace of mind, maybe. The purpose of this DVD learning series is to develop some peace of mind from our number one killer. One person every 10 minutes of every day in this country dies of a cardiovascular event. Most like my, my, my father, premature. Peace of mind for my family and peace of mind for your family if I can help you to discover the beat of your healthy heart and you avoid a cardiac event. This will give me peace of mind. So there you go. Now you know what is my primary motivating factor, what drives me behind the scenes to deliver this type of mini-series. I'll talk more about that event where my father passed away Age is just 46. I used to think he was 47, but he's only 46. Well, recalculated the years of when he was born. He was about to turn 47. He wasn't actually 47 when that happened. He's about three or four months shy of turning 47. So that's, it changed my life for a whole lot of different reasons. So I was working in a health club, what's called a full service health club, when I took that phone call. I, I, what that inspired me to do was I left the health club working for someone you're going to hear about in one of my other mini series. 
Um, and it's all linked to what we do here at the New Science of Physical Health. And I went to work for the National Heart Foundation of Australia. This episode is shared in lots of countries around the world, over 55 countries now. And the National Heart Foundation of Australia, you probably have something similar in your country. It might be called a heart association, something along those lines. So I then left, after about five or six years, I left the National Heart Foundation of Australia to go and teach health and physical education. And mostly because I grew up loving sport and I was particularly good at a few sports in the country town and the region that I grew up in. So I was focused on sport in physical education, not so much on health. But I became, from what happened with my father, what I learned at the National Heart Foundation, I started to become obsessed with something called health adaptations. Now, I lost my wife a little bit for a few of my adult years, and I, I, wanted, I started asking questions like this. How do health adaptations happen at a physiological level? How do they happen at a molecular level, why does physical activity actually make you healthier? That's a great question to ask somebody and see what kind of answers you get because not many people actually know, very few in fact. When do you know if you're classified as being physically healthy? Another great question that the average person, even people in my field, most can't answer. When do you know if you're being classified as physically healthy? How do you, and this is the one related to this topic about smartwatches and health, how do you track physical health over time using your smartwatch? Then here's the big theory behind or the big premise behind, not a theory, but the big premise behind the new science of physical health. What is the number one and number two cause of sickness and death worldwide? And what that is driving down our physical health outcomes, putting our lives at risk. What's number one and number two? And how far are they number one and number two? I'll talk a minute in a minute about what they actually are. But I'll tell you the first one, 18 million deaths worldwide, about 80% are preventable. The second one is 8.2 million deaths worldwide. Third place is a long way behind. So that's a very interesting thing to think about, which we'll dive back into shortly. So if you use a smartwatch to track your health or have a smartwatch, and wanting to find out more about how to track your health using it. What here's a question, big question. What data from your watch actually means something when it comes and is applied to health adaptations? I.e., that is, when do you know you have lowered your risk from the number one and number two cause of sickness and death worldwide? One of my other mini-series is called Obesity Versus Health, where I talk about the concept of aesthetics versus health adaptations. Not in this episode. What I will say is many, many, many people, if not most, if not all, I don't know if it's all, but many people, they're into looking good. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. But you can look quite fine on the outside, and many people do. I'm trying to think about how to phrase that correctly. Lots of people look okay on the outside, what you'd call normal. But on the inside, they haven't had health adaptations. And in fact, they're at risk of the number one and number two cause of sickness and death worldwide. So that's a little bit about some of the questions that we'll address here in this mini-series. But the last part about introduction to me was my wife and I were blessed out of like, like a lightning, so to speak. 
of having our only child when we were 45 years old. I am a few days away from, as I record this, turning 55 years of age. So my son is just is 11 and turning 12. And so we were blessed with a child when we were in our mid-40s. On the birth certificate, it calls it, this is amazing, it calls it um, late-age uh, uh, late parents. That's the best way to describe it. I looked at that birth certificate and I go, well, that's not a very nice thing to say, is it? Anyway, <laughs> it was pretty funny, I thought. My Both my wife and I, late-age or late-stage parents. So... When my son was born, I started, this is where the genesis came for this, and it really kicked off when smartwatches really started to take off after 2014, which I saw the explosion of that as I went, so I see students all the time in schools. So um, my son was born, We I started looking at health data for children, health outcomes, and health data for children, teenagers, and adults. Blew my mind. I thought to myself, you know what? My son, in a few years, which is right now, by the way, is going into the physical education system and the health education system in schools. Yet the data says when they spit out at the other end, both he and his cohort, all of his cohort around the world, I couldn't believe how bad it was. That's the best way to say it. I haven't got time in this episode to go into that data, but I do in other sections of my content. And... Just how far has we fallen? Or was it any good in the first place? That's the other question too, which I do answer. So since 2000, so that's what really drove me and inspired me was the birth of my son going, hang on a second. If I just let him go into the same system that I went into and that all the kids that I've been teaching have gone into, and not just that, but my cohort around the world, whatever we're doing, the data says that children, teenagers, and adults, their personal physical health status is at the very bad end of poor, not very good at all. So I'm thinking, okay, well, what data should we be tracking? So that started inspiring me to, since 2010, working with professors, PhDs in areas like cardiology, medicine, public health, cognitive neuroscience, exercise physiology, open-heart surgery, pediatrics, childhood physical activity research, oncology, and the list goes on. Over 100 PhDs right now that I've been working with. So that's a bit of the background of me and some of the things that I have been doing that have led me up to put this series together. So I want to address now what I call the big question at the start of this mini-series. I always have a driving question or a driving um, primary motivating question is, is the way that I'll describe it. So let me get tucked into now the big question in this series. How do I know, how do I, Shane, know that smart watchmakers don't understand health outcomes? Because like, well, what makes me qualified to say that? All right, let's get tucking into the story now and the unique insight that I bring that not many other people can. Some can, but not many, and I haven't heard anyone who puts out a series like this be able to give you some of the background that I've had that have happened to me and things I've experienced. And I'm really excited about sharing this story about how it is that I do know that smart watchmakers don't understand health outcomes. All right, I was afforded the opportunity back in when when it begin? 2012. So this is before Apple launched their watch in 2015 and before Fitbit launched a heart rate sensor 
in their um, uh, risk tracker that they had, what they were tracking predominantly was steps and distance at that point in time. And I'm going to cover off in a minute, or not in a minute, sorry, in the other episodes, exactly what should be tracked and what shouldn't be tracked if you are looking to address the co- the whole concept of tracking your health. So, you know, does should you be tracking steps? Should you be tracking distance and time and calories burned and a whole, you know, number of exercise or physical activity sessions per week? How do they tell you about health adaptations? I'll say it right out front and out loud. They don't, by the way. And we'll get to what does in just in, in, in throughout the series. So I get this opportunity in around 2013, 14, where I got introduced to a manufacturer of technology in South Korea, Mr. Kim, and an, a former Motorola executive from Ohio in the United States and the group of people that work for them. And they were looking to bring to market, and I won't say how I got involved with them, but they were looking to bring to market a um, particular technology where heart rate sensors were taken away from a chest strap and put into earphones. So millions of people wearing earphones by this stage, as we know, because the iPod was invented in 2001. So by 2014, millions of people using it. And so some companies started coming out with the idea of, what if we put a sensor, because blood flow is really good inside your ear, and it's more accurate than at your wrist and at your chest. So they started putting, anyway, so I started working with Mr. Kim from South Korea and his manufacturing company. And my my role was to provide advice on building the health software that went with the earphones and what should be tracked and what shouldn't be tracked. I involved in that program a whole bunch of um, exercise physiology professors. So people who were PhDs, had a doctorate in exercise physiology. So I brought a whole bunch of those people into the team as well as other people. Uh, By the way, that project did not end well. In fact, ended as bad as it could possibly end, was not good. Anyway, that's a story for another time. So the real story out of that is we got the product, the technology, to the stage through the factory and through this former Motorola executive who actually helped invent some of the first mobile phones back in the mid-1970s. He was the one who did the engine. He was an engineer at that time. So myself and a professor of exercise physiology, Dr. Chris Eschbach, we were invited with Mr. Kim and also the people from Ohio, we were invited to Apple World Headquarters in San Jose, the United States of America, the very head of Silicon Valley. You've got to understand, for me as an Australian growing up, loving technology, this was a pretty cool thing. Now, it was 2014 a year before the Apple Watch debuted. So anyway, Professor Eschbach and I were the main presenters. To, uh, we're at Apple World Headquarters presenting to a division which was about to was potentially going to buy this particular technology, okay? So we're in there and we did our presentation. We were talking about, so Professor Eschbach was talking about some things. I was talking about some things related to, you know, on-the-ground use by people and, and that sort of thing and about health outcomes and so forth. So... Professor Eschbach and I came out of that meeting with Apple World Headquarters, and then he and I broke away from the rest of the group, and we went and sat in a coffee shop near Apple World Headquarters to have a, a debrief, a discussion. So we sat down, had a little cuppa, ate a little healthy chicken wrap or something or other. I remember this day. In fact, I reminded Professor Eschbach of, Eschbach of this um, about uh, six months ago when I was, did an interview with him. 
And uh, I said to him, you remember when we went to that cafe outside of uh, Apple after we had the meeting with Apple? And he goes, oh, yeah, absolutely. I said, do you remember what you talked about? He goes, yeah. They had no interest in the most, this is what Professor Eschbach said to me at the cafe that day. They had no interest. This is Apple who were looking at this technology that would measure heart rate and track health biometrics from your ear not your wrist, which they eventually went with. But I'll tell you about that in just a moment and, and how that all happened, which is an amazing story. So, and gives you insights to why smart watchmakers don't know about health outcomes, which is the title of this episode, episode one here in the mini-series. So, um, we're sitting down and we're talking about what he said to me in the cafe there. Do you notice what Apple didn't really care about? I go, what do you mean? And he said... They never once asked us about the accuracy of the technology. They had no interest in the accuracy of the technology in that presentation. and Because they asked us lots of questions. It wasn't like they were just listening to us the whole time. It was very interactive. And then he said they weren't asking anything about whether or not the technology was capable of telling people about how to improve their health and measuring whether or not their health was actually improved and health adaptations were occurring. They didn't, they didn't even understand any of that kind of stuff. So these are the people making the decision to potentially buy a technology that will go into Apple stores around the world. Would have been great if it had come off, by the way, but it never did because you know what happened? Well, you don't know what happened. I'm about to tell you what happened. What happened was about three months after that meeting, Apple shut down all talks with all headphone manufacturers or earphone manufacturers. And then about two months later, we found out why. And it was because they bought um, uh, Beats, the headphone company Beats by Dr. Dre. So they were in negotiations when we went there with Dr. Dre and the Beats headphone company, which is now incorporated into Apple Worldwide. So that's why did, that's basically the reason it didn't go ahead. So then what happened was Professor Ashbark and I, fast forward, that was 2014, fast forward to now, I got the opportunity to interview him, okay? And we were talking about a number of things, which I, I, I did not in, like record him uh, record about, but we revisited that meeting we had at Apple about six or seven years ago now, or a bit longer, and we talked about what is the number one biometric that you should measure if you want to know that health adaptations are occurring inside the body. So here's what I thought I'd do. I could retell some of that story, of what Professor um, Eschbach said to me about what is the number one biometric that you should track if you want to know about health adaptations. So why don't I do this? Why don't I give you a little bit of my discussion with Dr. Eschbach, and you can hear him in his own words. By the way, Dr. Eschbach, PhD in exercise physiology, and the company that he's a part of in Raleigh, North Carolina, you can go and look up his name, Dr. Esh- Chris Eschbach. The company that he's a part of in North Carolina are the world leaders at making sensor technology, which goes into earphones and watches that are around the world. That They have a technology, he and his company, and they test more smart devices that track health than any other company in the world. I've been to their, their factory, or not their factory, but their premise in Raleigh there uh, in North Carolina. It's a very impressive place. And just about every person who's on staff there is a PhD in something, engineering 
electrical engineering, mechanical engineering. Some people have got two PhDs. It blows my mind. But they are the they test more devices than and because he, he told me that than any other company on the planet. So he's not just some professor working in a location in North Carolina. Dr. Eschbach is he's on the world um a committee in the United States of America for consumer technology and health. I can't remember the name of the committee, but he is right in there as one of the key players on the committee in the world, which helps to set standards for things like smartwatches. He's a world leader. That's what I'm trying to get across to you. If you type his name in, go and look up his bio, you'll be impressed. So here's what I'll do. I'm going to transition now and bring to you one of the first professors in this series that will appear, Professor Chris Eschbach, and we'll talk a little bit about, you'll hear what we'll talk about, and then I'll come back. As I want to tell you a story of how the company that Professor Eschbach is a part of, and where he is the director of the Exercise Physiology Lab, which does all the testing, they sued Apple about the Apple Watch. Before the Apple, after the Apple Watch came out, they sued Apple because Apple ripped off some of their technology. And I, I cannot, I did not know this was happening at the exact time that we were making the presentation to Apple in 2014. They were in the middle of developing the Apple Watch, and it was Professor Eschbach and his groundbreaking work in sensor technology and testing the, the um, sensor technology, what it can and can't do, what it can track and can't track, it was his groundbreaking technology and the company that he works with that led to Apple inventing their watch. And I'll talk about that story. It was going to blow your mind. I'll come back to that one in just a moment. Let's listen a bit now to Dr. Eschbach in his own words. Uh, I, would, uh, I would be confident to say we've done more tests on, on uh, biometric sensors as it relates to heart rate and movement than any other place on Earth uh, now that may may or may not include all of you know all commercial devices. We certainly we do examine all devices that are on the market for the yep. most part. There may be a few out there that we haven't tested. Yep. But um, on a weekly basis, we're just we're we're doing thousands of data sets. Wow. Yeah. Accuracy is really important, and also just knowing when you're accurate is probably more important than anything. Ah, okay. And that kind of that gives me t- the second discussion topic that I have is that there's you know there's a, a huge rise in the last you know half decade around the use of heart rate in modern consumer tech. You know, we we know obviously the big players in the marketplace and a lot of other companies as well. And one of the applications of this is towards improving health outcomes of people who use this technology. And I, as an educator, I've got a question, and as for you as one of the professors at you know the, the leading edge on a global basis, how do you see heart rate technology helping to improve the health outcomes of people who use it? Yeah, you know, I mean, heart rate uh, in wearables has been around for a really long time. We've had you know chest straps on athletes for yeah. a very long time, or electrocardiograms even on athletes, and really where we're at. Where I see it now is it's just this more seamless thing. So we're going to have or already have devices on our body um, where biometrics like heart rate are going to be measured or we have the ability to measure them. And we didn't necessarily buy the device just to measure heart rate perhaps, yep. but it's going, it measures heart rate and 
and we can put that heart rate in context and have large amounts of data on a single individual. And really where the strength of this kind of, I always have a, have some data with me every day, uh, where the strength of this lies is in the presentation and the context of that data mm. uh, being brought back being brought back to the individual, you know, instead of just like, Oh, yesterday your resting heart rate was 70. Well, yay. What am I supposed to do with that? I need to actionable yes. feedback from these devices. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you kind of sing in my song as a, as a school teacher, I, uh, you know, the school that I teach at in Sydney here in Australia, there is 1,800 students. I reckon I've asked 1,800 students, um, either as groups or individuals, um, you know how like how many of you have got some kind of device that tracks your fitness or has a tracking device? And lots of them put a hand up, and then I say, "Keep your hand up if you understand how the data improves your health." Because our big thing is, is health and physical education, and um, I think that's the big problem. I, I I literally cannot see a hand that stays up because the kids don't know. And I, I don't know whether adults are the same because I don't work with adults, but they don't know what the data means for their health outcomes. With yeah, that- absolutely. And it's been like that uh, from the beginning. It's been like that. Uh, you know, that's really a weakness of uh, the wearable tech, uh, the wearable technology, uh, even from the very, very beginning of monitoring heart rate is give me actionable feedback in a way that I, I'm, I stay interested in it. Yeah. I also see a problem where there's a mismatch between um, the industry, uh, the consumer, and then the medical uh, or health professionals, right? So you know, a lot of medical and health professionals, they don't, they're getting, it's getting better. They are. They realize all of these people are wearing these devices, and and they start to show a little bit of interest. But uh, and for good reason, they may have some distrust in these devices, and they're like, "Well, what am I supposed to? You know, if a patient comes back, oh, I have my heart rate data from the past year. Doc, can you, you know, can yeah. you look at my heart rate data from the past year? Well, how? What are they really? Even they don't even know what to do with that data. So yes. until this kind of big big data set is. Um, mind, I guess, for, uh, you know, uh, through some data science and that sort of thing and presented in ways that are actionable for both the consumer and their healthcare providers. It's kind of, it's in a way it's not as, it's not as powerful as it can be and, and it's getting better, but it's still got a long ways to go. So there you go. There's Dr. Chris Eschbach, one of the world leaders. What a, that whole episode, you can go and I can make that accessible for people through some of the material that we have. I won't talk about that right now. But what I will say is this, what he was talking about has been my bugbear on the ground here in Australia is what he calls actionable data. It's like just because, like he said in our conversation just then, just because you report heart rate or calories burned or steps or, um, distance traveled, amount of physical activity sessions you do, or whether or not you did strength training or cycling or swimming or cardio training, whatever it is, how does that tell you about health adaptations and whether or not you're closer today than you were yesterday about being classified as physically healthy or when do you reach being classified as physically healthy? All those questions I talked about at the start of this episode, which just confuse people out there because what he and I went on to talk about is that smart watchmakers and health software companies 
They are simply making stuff just because you can. Now, he's not the only professor that says that. There are lots of them. So then my question becomes, and this is really my interactions with those 30,000 lessons day-to-day over my entire career has led me to this particular point. And that is, how do you take the knowledge from the professors, whether it's sensor technology like this we're talking about now, or in smartwatches, or whether it's health um, uh, stuff from childhood physical activity researchers, um, from exercise physiologists, cardiologists, open-heart surgeons. How do you take all these multiple, multiple disciplines in medicine and health sciences and just put them into simple lessons and make it simple for people to understand so we can boil it down? Now, he said one of the big problems was that we've got not a very good job of companies, you know, enterprise companies who are selling the technology, whether it's smartwatches or the software, see some are bundled together and some are independent, that they're not doing a very good job of telling people about what he calls actionable data. I call that health adaptation. So... The great news is throughout this mini-series and by the end of this mini-series, I am going to lead you directly to a health software that you can get that will fundamentally, 100%, without any mess whatsoever, tell you, are you being classified as physically healthy? Are you closer to physically healthy? Is the physical activity that you did today and last week and throughout a seven-day period Is that putting you in a situation where you drive down your risk of the number one and number two cause of sickness and death worldwide? Let's address that right now so we get that out of the way. By a country mile, the cardiovascular disease, which is way more than stroke and heart attack, which is what most people think, because that's what we've learned glean from from, um, the media. But cardiovascular disease will kill 18 million people this year worldwide. Another 18 million people will have a cardiovascular event and survive temporarily. That's number one. Number two in second place, just as insidious and horrible, is cancer. Cancer events will kill 8.2 million people worldwide. And about 8.2 million people will be diagnosed with a cancer event and survive temporarily. There is no question in my mind that the correct health software based on smartwatch use will lead to driving down the risk of the number one and number two cause of sickness and death. And I'll prove it to you because one of the professors I'll introduce you to, I can't remember whether it's episode two or episode three, is going to talk specifically about that. One of the world's biggest heart studies has the data from that been taken and one of the world's ranked top four cardiologists and exercise physiologists, when I say ranked top four, most cited top four by Google Scholar, um, exercise physiologists and cardiologists from Norway who leads a team of research professors, uh, researchers of a staff of 55 has converted the data from the health study into impact and will tell you what the number one health biometric in the world to track is and how you convert that health biometric across all populations, no matter what country you're in. Because remember, this episode is being listened to by people in 55 different countries in this whole mini-series because that's where this show goes out to. 
So I'm really excited about what we're going to dive into in the rest of this in the rest of this mini series. You know what? My notes here, by the way, I'll, I'll just put this in as a little little sidebar. My notes are far more extensive. Oh, I might even have to make this a, th- a four or five part series because I've got a lot of stuff to cover about this whole topic of smart when using your smartwatch for health. But I have to give you some of my unique perspective and my unique background. And I have to um, I have to talk about where all this is leading to and how you can boil it down to something you can go, here it is, use this, and away you go. So I'll do that as we go throughout the series. But like all the things that I do, I have this premise, and I know this from education. You need to give people deep knowledge to get deep engagement. If you just give people surface-level knowledge, if I just said to you, here's the biometric that you need to track and... Here's what it means. If I said that, I could probably knock that out in 20 minutes, which we'll do in the in this series here. But the challenge is giving people information doesn't change their behavioral patterns. The bulk of people, and this is for another part of the uh, of the series, the bulk of adults do not do do zero physical activity per week in all western countries. The bulk, when I say the bulk, at least 65% do zero physical activity per week, which means they don't get health adaptations. Even lots of people who have smartwatches don't know how to use them for health and or don't even use them for health. So I've got a lot of content in this particular um, mini-series. But I want to finish off now because this episode will start to get a little bit uh, a little bit too long. I want to finish off now with uh, as I, I, two things. Number one is... I told you about a story that happened with Apple inventing their Apple Watch, and it's related to the company, the Dr. Eshbach. I told, I introduced that story to you, and I said I'd come back to that story about the Apple Watch, which I will do because it will blow your mind, and I might even have that at the start of the next episode. But I want to finish off with um, something that relates to the work that we do with the new science of physical health that will ultimately help you to understand why there is one major biometric that you can track that will allow you to determine whether or not you are driving down your risk for real, clinically validated, talk more about that uh, later on, clinically validated that you are driving down your risk of the leading cause of sickness and death. See, if you're going to look talk about health, there are things outside cardiovascular disease and cancer that you should look after. Strength, in muscle endurance, muscle strength, um, tendons and joints, you know, uh, all those things, depending on what ages you're in. But I'm not talking about, you know, you've got to look after things like diabetes and obesity and, and all that stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the two big things that, that cause the most amount of sickness and the most amount of premature death, a death, a death and premature death. That, and that's cardiovascular disease and cancer. So those are my two main focus points. So, what I decided to do was this. I decided that um, that I would take that there are people who know what to track for health, and they are PhDs in areas like exercise physiology, cardiology, molecular biology, and those types of areas. Those are the people who know what to track, not some executive who sits at the head of a smartwatch company and, and the biggest one is Apple. They sell about 30 million units a year. 
Then the next one, I think, is Samsung. They sell something like 16 million units a year. The next one is Fitbit. They sell something like 14 million units a year worldwide. And so executives in, in those companies, as Dr. Esbach said himself, they don't know. They're sitting in office with control of billions of dollars at their disposal, but it's not them that know what needs to go into a, a piece of technology to track health. It's the it's the PhDs that do. So what I decided to do was take the work over the past decade of PhDs that I've consulted with and worked with, and what I wanted to do was turn their medical research and their knowledge, like I just did with Dr. Eschbach, and put them into new education frameworks, which is what I do inside both my book and courses for the new science of physical health. And education frameworks that explain how the world around us works in regards to health, physical health, and health, physical health outcomes. So that's what I decided to do. And I've got three major frameworks. So what I did was I took all of the interviews I've done with professors of medicine, all of the consulting I've done with medical researchers, all of their peer-reviewed publications, and I have spent time, I figured it out, with over a 100 professors and doctors over the past decade of my life and converted into these educational frameworks, diagrams. There's three major diagrams. So after 32 years of teaching health and physical education face-to-face lessons and receiving professional development in what makes successful learners, I believe deeply in my ability to come up with brand new frameworks that explain the world around us when it comes to our physical health outcomes. So here is the briefest explanation of the three major frameworks in my brand new book called Health Secrets, The New Science of Physical Health and the Courses and Associated Material that Comes Off It. The first framework is called the Influencer Framework. The question in that is, on the diagrams in front of me, there is six things, six the six leading contributors to the number one cause of sickness and death, cardiovascular disease. Now, obesity, blood sugar, blood cholesterol, active heart fitness scores, smoking, and I can't remember the other one off the top of my head because I've turned a page. I'm not on that diagram anymore. So the influencer framework has a primary question. Out of the six things on the page, what is the leading contributor to the number one cause of sickness and death? Is it obesity? Is it high blood sugar? Is it high blood cholesterol? Is it high blood pressure? Is it smoking? Which one of those things is the leading contributor to the number one cause of sickness and death? Because medical researchers like Dr. Eschbach and others globally know that there is. So the influencer framework tells you the answer to that question. What's the biometric? That's the one thing. Then the second one is called the molecular benefit map. And the third one is called the impact quadrant. I won't walk you through those diagrams right now, but both the molecular benefit map and the impact quadrant are physiological and molecular adaptations that happen if you use the influencer framework. And the number one biometric that's inside the influencer framework that you have to work on first in order to qualify or be classified as physically healthy. So... The molecular benefit map and impact quadrant, those two frameworks explain health adaptations at a molecular level and a physiological level. If you use the biometric inside the influencer framework, that's and I'll go through more of that throughout the series. I will detail more about that in the series, but this episode here is going into it a bit too much, and I want to stay on track. 
if you're interested, I have with this is with my book. I have a ten-part mini series as a bonus. That is an audio mini series that comes with the book. So there's an audio book, printed book, and ebook, and a ten-part mini series which breaks down. There's three episodes: one on the influencer framework, one on the molecular benefit map, and one on the impact quadrant. And you can see the diagrams and all of the work surrounding that inside the book itself. And the, there's a course that goes with it. So if you want the video content that goes with that as well, so I go really deep into those three frameworks and the importance that they have in what data is coming out of your smartwatch and what you need to track if you're going to remain healthy. So I'll get into that. So you'll hear my evidence-based argument of what we should track for health and what needs to be ignored, backed by PhDs in exercise physiology. So these three frameworks that I just mentioned are the basis about what biometrics a smartwatch should report and its associated healthware should track. So globally, there is agreement from all the professors I've worked with that it should be based on heart rate and your body's response to physical activity. But as Dr. Eschbach just said, giving someone heart rate by itself doesn't tell you anything. You have to convert that data into health adaptations, which is what my frameworks are about that I just mentioned, as explained in those three frameworks. So as you're about to see in the next episode, smartwatches and health software that's attached to them, whether it's independent or come as a package, needs to throw out a lot of biometrics and keep just a few. The question is, what do you throw out and why do you keep? What do you keep and why? So we'll find out the answers to that those questions in the next episode. And by the way, I'll come at the top of the episode. I'll give you this story. It's going to blow your mind how Apple invented the Apple Watch and how they ripped off the technology from and got sued by the company that Dr. Eschbach is a part of out of Raleigh, North Carolina. Really amazing story. So we're going to go and answer those questions at the top of the next episode, along with that story about the Apple Watch itself and how it got invented. And... What you can forget about that smart watchmakers and health software companies are trying to get you hooked on. Because I want to give you the stuff that's just about health adaptations that drive down your risk from the leading two causes of sickness and death worldwide. Thank you so much for joining me at this particular episode, episode number one in the mini-series. Can't wait to tell you the story about the Apple Watch. If it's available already, when you're listening to this, go and click on it right now and get this story, the inside scoop, on how the Apple Watch was invented and how they got sued right out of the gate and what happened with that. All right, everybody, thanks for joining me. Bye for now. See you the next episode.